let's um, draw our attention this morning to um, the church. Church means a lot of things to a lot of different people. To some people, church is uh, bad memories. Church is that place where I was uh, abused, I was manipulated, I was taken advantage of. Nothing but bad memories, church. Uh, That's what church is to some people. To other people, church is a place of reconciliation. They have found a relationship to God through Jesus Christ in the church. And they would die for the church. As I said, church means different things to different people. And it's time, it's good from time to time to reevaluate what church is and what it should be to make sure that we're still on target, that we're still on focus, we're still doing what God wants us to do with relationship to our responsibilities that he's left us with. I'm sure you've heard the parable of the the lighthouse. Um, There was a lighthouse on a very treacherous uh, harbor, and uh, it served and saved hundreds of lives through the years. Uh, people would try to make entrance into that harbor under the fog, and and, and uh, if it were not for that lighthouse, uh, many people would have perished. In fact, there were wrecks, and the men would go out in rowboats, save people, pull them from the waters, and, and bring them back. But, you know, there were two guys that worked in that lighthouse, and um, they said, man, it's a lot of work for just two guys. Wouldn't it be better if we had more guys working with us? Well, the only way we can do that is spruce this place up. Who wants to come and sit in this cold, damp lighthouse waiting for the occasional life to save? So let's get some couches and make this place comfortable. Let's get some carpet. Let's paint the walls. Let's put up a 50-inch flat screen where we can watch the ball games. And you know what? People started coming. It became a great hangout. I mean, half the community signed up to be lifesavers at this life-saving station. And boy, they sat there and they they had great fellowship. And the boat, that rickety old rowboat that they would go out and, man, they got themselves some sleek motorboats that they could rush out there to save the lives of people when they drowned. Upgrades to everything. The only problem is when it came time to save somebody's life, they were so engrossed in what was going on in their fellowship and what was on TV that nobody wanted to be the one to go out and get the person. They argued about who would have to do that, and I think you see the point, don't you? Sometimes a life-saving station can lose its focus, a lighthouse. The purpose of the lighthouse is to save people. It's not to entertain those who are a part of the life-saving business. The church... The business of the church is to save souls. And if we get so comfortable with what we have going on here and all the neat things that we can do together and the fellowship that we can have and we forget the mission of reaching out to the lost, we've made the same mistake. So I want us today to look at, to reevaluate where we are as a church. What are we doing as a church? Do we have the right focus in mind? And here's what I'd like for us to do. I'd like to look at three examples. And if I can have your imagination as we talk about these three, uh, it, it might help. What if 
this church, what if we were more like a new church? Imagine with me this. You and another couple, you and your wife and another couple, have made plans for several months to go to a mission field. Um, somewhere up north, maybe, where there aren't very many churches. And you decided to go to this particular location. You've scouted it out. There's no church within 100 miles any direction. And you said, we're going to plant a church there. And so the two of you begin to plan and you pray about it and you meet about it and, and, and you work, uh, you, you are making plans to sell your own homes and you've looked, you've gone up there, you've visited, you found, you found a piece of property right on the corner. There's a two-story building right there on the corner. The upstairs has two rooms in it that could very easily be used as your apartments, your living arrangements. And so one couple will live on one side, the other couple will live on the other side. And the downstairs we'll use as the church building. It's a big room. We'll just take everything out and we'll set up chairs and we'll have ourselves a church building. So the time comes when you finally arrive. You've raised your support. It's Monday morning and you have moved in and you start beginning to undo your boxes, empty your boxes. Tuesday comes and you're much farther along. By Wednesday, you're pretty much put together in your apartment. So now you're four days away from worship. And it's just you and the family you came up there with. What are you going to do Wednesday? Well, when you go to the barber to get your hair cut, <clears throat> you say to the barber, Hey, I don't know if you noticed, but that building on the corner there, that, that's a church now. Did you see that? Have you seen the sign? Um, I'm, I'm the preacher there, and I'd like to invite you to come and join us this Sunday. It's our first Sunday. It's our kickoff Sunday. We've never had church services there before, but we're starting a church. We'd like for you to come. You go to the grocery store. The lady at the checkout stand says... Um, you know, what your total is, and you say before you leave, here, here's a card. I'd like you to have my card. You know the building right across the street there on the corner? That's where we have started a new church. Our first service is this coming Sunday. Would you come? Everywhere you go, everyone you meet, you begin inviting. Why? Because if you don't, nobody's going to be there. If you don't take the initiative, if you don't have the zeal, if you don't go out and start talking about who you are and what you're about, no one will be there but you and the other family. And so you're compelled. There's an urgency, a necessity to go tell people about the message, about the church, about Jesus. That's what you do if you were a new church. What if you're an old church? What if you've been established for a long time? What if you have a real nice building? What if you have a rich heritage? What if everybody knows we already meet here? I still say we ought to have the mindset of a new church. We ought to have the evangelistic zeal of a new church. In John chapter 1, do you remember the statements that were made? Uh, we talked about this for Friends and Family Day, but in John chapter 1, there were these 
disciples who would come in contact with Jesus and they didn't have all the answers to all the theological questions that could be answered or asked. They, they didn't know necessarily the connection between everything, the, the whole scheme of redemption, how Jesus plays into that, but they think they have found the Messiah. And so they say, come and see. Just come and see. Andrew gets Peter. Philip gets Nathaniel. Uh, come and see. That, that, that's how the invitation was made. You go over to John chapter 4, and Jesus talks to that woman at the well, and, and they have a conversation, and, and she perceives that he's a prophet, hmm, maybe even the Messiah. And she runs back to her house, leaves her pitcher of water there, runs back to the city and says, guys, listen, I have found a man. He knows everything about me and I've never met him before. I think he may be the Messiah. Messiah, would you come and see? You know, here's my take on it, but I want you to come and see. And they did. And they believed Jesus too. Not because of the words that she had spoken about him, but because of the words Jesus had spoken to them when they came and saw we need to act, behave like a new church. We have a lot of history here. People know we're here. We have a great facility. We have a, a rich heritage. But we need to have the same evangelistic zeal that a new church would have. We need to treat each week as if if we don't get out and do something and invite people, there won't be anybody here Sunday. That kind of urgency. You know what, I'm really, I know our young people are gone today. A lot of them are gone to escape. <clears throat> They're not here uh, necessarily to, to hear this, but nobody invites any better than our young people do. Um, there's not a week that goes by that our young people don't have somebody with them who uh, they have been invited to come. Um, that's great. What's happened to the rest of us? You know, what What happens to... Where do we lose that along the way? Why, why don't we have the same courage? Can we not learn from them to just... When we meet at the barbershop, when we meet at the grocery store, when we, when we leave a, a tip with the waitress, might we also leave an invitation? Or might we also encourage them to come and worship with us? Uh, Dan Winkler was here preaching not too long ago, and... And I remember when we were out in uh, Colorado, Dan <clears throat> told about sitting down at a table, a bunch of preachers were after church, and there were other people there as well, but um, waitress was waiting on them, and when they were getting ready to say the prayer, you know, it was one of those times, you kind of have to prepare your prayer, you know, well, here, they're coming back, so let's wait, and as soon as they gives us our drinks, then walks away, we'll, we'll go ahead and say a prayer. Well, she came at one of those times right when they were getting ready to pray. And instead of waiting, he said, would you like to join us in a prayer? And what's your name? We'll include you in our prayer. Who does that? That woman was impressed. She wanted to know more about who these people were after she was included in that prayer and prayed for by these total strangers. We need the evangelistic zeal of a new church. Let's not lose that. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 46, listen to what they did as the church is beginning. Um, <clears throat> uh, 
So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. These people were daily. Uh, what, what are they doing in the temple? They're New Testament Christians. What do you think they were doing in the temple? They were teaching. They were reaching out to people. They're Christians, but now they've got a mission. They're trying to bring people to Jesus. And so daily, they kept going back to where these people who are interested in God and trying to reach out to them and to pull them into the circle of Jesus Christ. If we behave like a church, we ought to behave like a new church. Let me give you a second type. We ought to behave like a persecuted church. Maybe you've got the, already read the bulletin. I got a little bit ahead of myself in, in writing that um, this week. But again, imagine with me, it's Sunday morning and you put your jeans and t-shirt on. You get a picnic basket together and you take your wife and your children off to the mountains And uh, you get out of the car and you look around and you walk this trail and the boys have, you know, a couple baseball gloves and a baseball and you're carrying a picnic basket and you walk to this trail, seemingly to walk to a nice picnic spot you have picked out somewhere in the hills. You get to a certain point and there are two men who point you off the path, about a hundred yards off the path. You see there's an opening into a cave, and you go ahead and get off the path and walk into that cave. When you get into the cave, you uh, put the ball and glove aside. You take the picnic basket out, or you take the contents out, and open up, there's a false bottom, and you, you grab the Bibles out of the bottom of it. You distribute it to the family members. Then you light some lanterns, and you go down into the depths of the cave where the sound won't carry out of the cave when you sing. The two men who were watching the trail eventually come and join you, making sure that the way is clear. They cover the entrance of the cave, and they too come and join you. And now you're ready for Sunday worship. Those events will probably never happen to us in our lifetime, but they have happened before. It's the way the catacombs in Rome, the Christians went underground in order to worship God. They were in the tombs where they buried people so that they could have privacy and without fear of persecution. It's happened before. I'm not saying it's going to happen again, but here's what I want you to say. How would it change you? How would it change you if you acted like a persecuted church? If you behaved like a persecuted church, would you not have a heightened sense of unity Would you not have a heightened sense of love and determination in your faithfulness to Christ? You can't soon walk away from that which you're willing to die for or go to jail for. The level of determination would be would be raised to a level that maybe we haven't yet experienced. Turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 13. And I think of uh, verse 50. The Jews stirred up devout and prominent women. The chief men of the city raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. Look what they did. They shook the dust off their feet. 
And they came into Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy. The church is being persecuted, and it doesn't defeat them. They don't give up. They're not overwhelmed. They they don't say, oh, dear me, what am we going to do now? They are filled with joy. They saw a man, two men, endure hardship for the cause of Christ, and it strengthened them, and they're filled with joy. We are servants of Jesus Christ. Nobody can stop us. Turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 14. And look at verses 19 through 22. Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city, and the next day departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must go through many trials to enter the kingdom of God. Here are two Christians who are on a missionary journey. One of them is stoned, thought left dead. He rises up, he goes on, and he comes back to that same city where he had been. And he says, guys, listen, It's not easy, but we can do it. There are a lot of trials to being a Christian, but don't lose hope. We can do this. What if we had the kind of zeal of a new church to proclaim the message and the determination of a persecuted church to let nothing stop us? Do you think worshiping in that cave, people are going to get upset about the color of the carpet. Do you know how many little things have halted the progress of the church because of tiny, nitpicking little things? I know a church that has every other pew padded. You know why? Because some members said, if you pad the pew, I'm sitting on, I'm leaving. I don't want padded pews. We're not paying for padded pews for my pew. And, and so the only way the elders knew what to do, and your other people saying, yes, sir, we need padded pews. I can't sit that long. I need padded pews. And so you had a faction, padded pews, Christians, non-padded pew Christians. So the elders threw their hands up and said, all right, we'll pad every other row. And they did. You know what I figured would come next? Why'd you start with padded in the first row? I wanted to pad to start in the second row, you know, and then we could fuss about that. Um, There was a, um, you remember when everybody had those Velcro wallets? You know, the, you know, we had the Lord's Supper. And as soon as the Lord's Supper was over, we had um, the collection taken up. It was so disturbing and distracting because it was that Velcro wallet you know, phase that everybody had. And so when when the back was just getting finished with communion, or as soon as it passed the people in the first few rows, they started for what was next. They'd grab their wallet out, and you had all these, you know, ripping sounds while everybody's trying to take the Lord's Supper. And so we said, you know what, let's change the order of that. 
so that people can concentrate and not be distracted, distracted by the Velcro. And so we, we ended up, after the Lord's Supper, we sang a song and allowed people to have time to then do uh, their um, contribution after the song. And that stopped that during the Lord's Supper. But one man was so upset by the change. He said, I will never serve communion here again. You, you know, you put this song in here, and, and now we, instead of standing in the back and just marching back down and grabbing these collection plates, now we have to march in and sit down and wait for that song, and then we get the collection plates. I'm through. Never going never gonna to help again. Really? Do you think those kind of issues would be issues if you were a persecuted church? If you were risking your life to worship God and you assemble in the depths of this damp, dark cave and you meet with people, would your, would your love for these people not grow exponentially because you realize that they have the same faith and it's the level of being willing to die for? We need the determination of a persecuted church not to let little things bother us, not to throw away the unity and the bond of peace, the, the unity of Christ and the bond of peace that we have for things that don't amount to anything and things that wouldn't be issues if we were persecuted. Let me give you a third thing. What if we were like a church that was placed among the destitute? How would that change us? If we acted like or behaved like a church, a new church, I'm sure that we would be more evangelistically zealous because each Sunday depends on it. It hangs on it. I think that if we acted like a persecuted church, we would have much more determination and we wouldn't let anything disturb the unity that we, that we have and the love that we have for each other. But how would it change us if we were a church that was situated among those who were destitutes? Let's suppose we're now working maybe in an inner city or a third world country. And as we drive to church, you know, sometimes communities grow away from the, the center of community. Have you noticed that? The, the, the center of a community is often where everything has died. It's all just moved out on the bypass, you know. And, and what used to be the buzz of the, the community is now just nothing but shells. Well, what if you were an old church that had stood in the center of town and had been vibrant for many years, and then the town just grew away from you? And all that's left on the inside of town is poverty. People who are homeless trying to find shelter. But you still meet and go to church there. And so when you drive from the suburbs into that city church and you sit and you, you drive in in your nice car, as you drive in, you pass people living in their cars. And maybe you have to walk a little ways from the parking lot to the building and maybe somebody has decided to sleep there in that parking lot that night. What would you do if we functioned in a desolate 
destitute church? Would we be prone to reach out to people? If this is what we saw every day, would these people put us off? Or would we have compassion? We need to function as a church with compassion. The compassion of a church that is situated among the destitute. There are people who need ministering unto. There are people who need help in our society. Jesus didn't come for the rich and for the healthy. He came for the poor and those who were sick. That's who Jesus came to minister to. Have we lost sight of that? Can we be a church among the desolate? Would, would that would we be able to function or would that be too far outside our, our comfort zone? The Bible tells us in Acts 2, again, in verse 44, <clears throat> it's an interesting statement. All these people have obeyed the gospel, and, well, what do you do? You're living here in Jerusalem. Many of them were from other places, and, and uh, they've heard this new, exciting message of salvation, and, and they want to stay and learn more, and, but they don't have jobs. They, they've left their homes. They're, they're here kind of on, on a trip. How do you manage? You're living outside. You don't have a place to stay. Listen to what the church did. Now, all who believed were together. They had all things common. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord and in temple and breaking bread, house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. They had the favor of the people. If we saw these people on our way to church, would we have their favor? It depends on how we treat them. If we don't want to look their way, if we keep our head over here, probably not. But if you stop and speak to them, if you encourage them, if you say a kind word, if you offer them hope, you would have their favor. We need to be a church that functions as if we are among the destitutes and not let the people that we see, you know, we don't run into people every day, but do you sometime, from time to time run into people who are desolate? Do you have in your abundance, and we have abundance, don't try to deny that. I mean, we're all driving multiple cars. We, we have nice homes. We have all kind of toys and gadgets. We, we have play money. In our abundance, when we do see opportunities to reach out to people who are desolate, do we? Are we willing to do as the first century church did who had poor among them sell what they have so that their needs can be met? I think we need to be the church that Jesus Christ built. And that church was multifaceted. It had many functions. But I think that what we need to do is to be the church and what will help us is to remember these three kind of churches. And if we can behave like a church that is a new church and possess their zeal 
to preach, to get people here. That'd be a good thing. And if we would possess and behave like a church that was persecuted, man, the unity and the determination that we would have wouldn't let any kind of little insignificant ripple that waves across the church from time to time have any impact on us at all. It wouldn't matter because there's more urgent things to take care of. And if we would function more like a church situated among the destitute, we would be compassionate. We would reach out. I don't want to be like the priest and the Levite who turn my head and who walk by on the other side and leave that person hurting when someone can help. Let's be the church. But let's not just be any church. Let's be the church that God purposed us to be. Let's fulfill His divine mission and and let us not be turned aside. And if we can be more zealous, more united and determined, and more compassionate, that's a good thing. And I hope that we'll be encouraged to be that as we go out this week and minister uh, the gospel to those who are about us. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a child of God, I want you to obey the gospel this morning. That's Again, that's the purpose of the church. There is reconciliation to God through Christ Jesus in His church. If you haven't been baptized into Christ this morning, but you need to do that, we'll assist you in that. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful, maybe you haven't had the proper attitude, you haven't been the faithful child of God, you haven't had the zeal, the determination, the unity, the compassion that you need and you want to do better. We'll pray with you to that end if you'll come as we stand together and sing.